So this morning, uh, we are starting our series on First Peter, and I'm super excited about that. Man, this book is, is a great, great, great book. And uh, it's going to be cool to kind of dive in and get into it and find out all these things. And, and, uh, and so before we do that, I just want to pray that God is just going to bless this time. Um, the book of First Peter is unique in, in some ways, and so as we go through it, we really want God to just be working in us and, and really speaking to us and preparing us for whatever it is he has for us in our lives. And, and uh, he has this cool, great, amazing plan that's really all about him and nothing about us. And, and uh, he lets us fit into all of that. And so as we kind of go through this book, then we really want to be prayerfully looking at, God, what does that mean for me and how do I respond to you through it? And so let's just pray uh, as we kind of get ready for this whole series. All right. Father, thank you so much. You are so good. You're so amazing. And Lord, to think that you love us, um, God, is, is so undeserving and it's so incredible. And, and so, God, I pray that, that right now you would focus our hearts. And, and, uh, and Lord, as the psalmist even writes, uh, God, that you would open the eyes of our heart so that we would understand your word. God, open our hearts to it. And uh, Lord, don't let us be tempted um, to do what we are so prone to do and just come and, and hear your word and even agree with your word, Lord, but not let it do anything with our lives. And uh, God, we don't want that. We want to be the, the followers that you have called us to be, and we want to be the people that you've called us to be. And we certainly want to be people who um, acknowledge you in every part of our lives, God, and bring you glory and attention in every part of our lives. So we pray for that, God, that you would speak to us and, and change us where we need to be changed and uh, God, we wait for you, and we need you for that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, just the first two verses today. And I'm going to be honest, there is a ton to cover in the first two verses of First Peter. Uh, honestly, I literally went back and forth this week. Do we do four sermons on the first two verses of First Peter, all right, we just cram it into these two, uh, into this one sermon, and uh, we're cramming today. All right, uh, but let, let, you know, just getting started, let me let me read the first two verses. First Peter chapter one says this: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, just to start off, the writer of First Peter is who? Peter, a disciple and an apostle. When we hear that word apostle, it really means one who is sent by God, sent by Christ, who's, who's, who's sent out to do what Christ has told him to do, okay? And so he's literally called to do this. Now, when you think of Peter, okay, as we look through this letter, all right, one of the things when we think about Peter that I know we're prone to do, and, and, and as I was growing up in a great church, so many times the things that I would hear over and over and over is Peter would get this bad rap, and I would do that too. Peter's the guy that sunk, and Peter's the guy that always stuck his foot in his mouth. And Peter's this. And, and here's the thing, you know, and, and one of the things that we kind of do when we talk about Peter that way is, well, I can relate to Peter. And here's what I'm finding out. We cannot relate to Peter, okay? Yes, Peter did those things, but those things that he did, was those things when they happened is because of an intense passion for Jesus Christ. 
The fact that he sunk meant that he had walked on the water. And none of us have done that, okay? He was the only one to get out of the boat. He was the only disciple willing to take that step out of the boat and say, if it's you, Lord, I'm coming. And I'm going to come and be with you. And he walked on water. I don't know if you've tried that in your tub or out at the lake. I would prefer you try it in the tub than at the lake, especially if you're not a good swimmer. But it's not something that comes naturally, okay? And Peter did it. Because of his faith and his love in Jesus Christ, he stepped out of the boat. And those times when he, when, he, when he stuck his foot in his mouth, it's out of passion for Christ. It's out of zeal for the Lord. See, the things that we forget about Peter, I don't know if you know this, in the book of Acts, did you know that people would lay down the sick in the street so that Peter's shadow would go over them? I don't know about you, that's a little unique, okay? That's a little different than, you know, I don't relate to Peter when it comes to that, all right? People know, no one's lining up, period. You know what I mean? Let alone for my shadow. And here's Peter who is so just in touch with God and God's spirit working through him in such an amazing way that even the sick are lining the streets so that Peter's shadow will go over top and they're healed, and here's what I want us to know, notice as we go into this. I don't know that we can relate. I want to relate to Peter. I totally do. But he is, he's got the passion and the zeal for God that I really hope that we come out of this saying, that's what I want for my own life. And I don't relate to it, but I so want to. That's the zeal that I want for God. That's the passion that I want for God. Not that we're like hoping that we leave this series and now people are lying in the streets and wanting weird, freaky things to happen, okay? That's not what we're talking about. There's a passion and a zeal for God that we want to come from this study. And, and as, we, as we look at him, I want us to notice that. The second thing is, is who's he writing to? Who's he writing to? It says in, in the beginning, it's to those who are exiles of these different areas. And the, the group that Peter's writing to is these, these smaller churches that are dispersed through um, these different areas that he mentions. And, 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 and as we look at that, what I want us to notice, and it's, it's the northwestern um, part of Asia Minor, but the audience of this letter are outcasts. Um, they're, they're, they don't really have a home. They have been dispersed, and they're aliens, and they're outcasts in the areas that they're living in, okay? Now, that's where this letter is unique, because this is literally everything about the letter of First Peter is written with this in mind, Everything about 1 Peter is written to a people who are being persecuted, who are being shunned, who are being all of these things because of what they believe, because of where they live, because of how they live, because of who they follow. And that's hard to relate to. And we, you know, one of the things that I want us to do as we look at 1 Peter is look at it and say, okay, here are the things that Peter is telling for those because they're being persecuted, because of the things they're going through, because of how they're living, and because of the things that are happening to them. And really, I hope that we begin to question how we are living. Because here's this thing, you know, this whole idea of, of living as aliens and strangers. Really, that's how we ought to live. Now, they're physically on this earth living as aliens and strangers in these different areas. They don't fit in. They're not. The only acceptance that they have is, is you know, by God's grace in this passage that they're the family of God. That's the family. The only family that they fit into is that they're the family of God. But... We ought to be taking notice, and when, it, when the Bible talks about it, and Peter is going to talk about this later on, that we ought to be living that way. 
We ought to fit into this world as aliens and strangers. As we walk and as we do business and do all the things that we do day in and day out and day in and day out, we shouldn't feel at home here. Like we shouldn't feel like this is where I want to be. This is where I fit in. We shouldn't feel that way. What what the Bible tells us is, is if we feel like we fit in here, something is wrong. Like our home is not this. And and just like these people, we ought to feel just as out of place in this earth as they do there. Here's my thing. Like, here's what I struggle with, okay? And Paul, one of the things that Paul says is, if there's no resurrection, okay? If we find out tomorrow, news, news flash, it's on CNN, it's on the newspapers, there was no resurrection, fact, Jesus, we know for sure, was a liar. There's no resurrection. We found his body. We know somehow this is it. There's no resurrection. What does Paul say, if that's the case? Do you know what he says? That we ought to be the most pitied. We ought to be the most pitied people in the world if there's no resurrection. Do you know what that means? We ought to be living as aliens and strangers. And here's my thing. Here's what I struggle with with my life, okay? We find out tomorrow there's no resurrection. When my neighbors looked at me after we found that out, what would they think? Ah, no big deal. He'll still be able to do the same thing tomorrow as he did today. Is that what they would think? Would they pity me at all? Would they honestly pity me because there was a great loss in my life? That's what Paul's talking about, literally. There is such a loss in our life Here on earth, there's such a displacement. There's just such a weirdness about our life that if there was no resurrection, we ought to be pitied. People ought to look at us and just feel so sorry for us because why? We gave up so much for Christ. But I have this feeling that in the church today, if there was no resurrection, that the people would just look and go, he still got his house. He still got his car. He still got, you know, he's still going to watch football on Saturday. He's still going to hang out with me. He's still going to do this. He's still going to do this. I don't see what he lost. He got two hours freed up on Sunday now. Congratulations. I wonder, is that what they would think? Is that what they would say? Or would they really look at us and say, man, they have given up so much for nothing. And that's who, who Peter's writing to here now. These are people that are literally, literally being persecuted and being harmed and, 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 and all of these things because of what they believe and because of what they stand for. And so as we go through it, guys, I want us to have that mentality. Listen, he's writing to people that are not in the same situation as we are. And here's what I don't want. I don't want us to come out of this and say, okay, we ought to be persecuted. Paul says in 1 Timothy, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, we're going to be persecuted. And so how can I be persecuted? I know I'll be a jerk when I share the gospel, you know, and then people will be mad at me and they'll call me bad names. And maybe even I'll talk to a really big guy and he'll punch me. And then praise the Lord, I can feel like these people in first Peter. That's not it at all. Okay, we're not looking for ways to be obnoxious in the world. It's not that at all. What we're looking for is, is my life so radically zealous and in love with Jesus Christ And am I doing what Christ has called me to do so much so that people do look at me funny, that people do look at me like I'm different, that that I don't fit in, that I do feel strange and like an alien here because this is not where my home is. Does my life line up so much with Christ and his word that I just can't fit in here? 
That's what I want us to be looking at. That's what I want us to be evaluating. Am I really following? Am I really being obedient to what Christ has called me? You know, uh, John Piper, who I love, he writes this. He says, our first and primary citizenship is in heaven, not the United States. That would ruin some people's faith if they heard that in the church today, okay? Uh, Going by all the forwards I get anyway. Anyway, our first and primary citizenship is in heaven, not the United States. Our first and primary constitution is the Bible, not the U.S. Constitution. Our first and primary king and commander-in-chief is Jesus Christ and not President Bush. And the dominant cravings of our heart are not for treasures and tributes of the world, but for the kingdom of God. Now, is that how we're living? Is that who we are? Is that the people that we want to be and are desiring to be and asking God to make us as we live life? So many times I think we get it flipped, right? I mean, we honestly, honestly, we get so every four years, every two years, whatever you want. We get so vocal about politics. I mean, we get so vocal and upset and, and, you know, and I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just asking you to compare Honestly, compare your zeal for the government with your zeal for Christ and just see where it lands and see where it falls, okay? That's all I'm asking you to do, all right? Zeal for government, zeal for Christ, good homework project, have fun. All right, here we go. Let's get more into this passage here. It goes on, and and, uh, actually when he talks about those exiles, he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. That word elect means this, chosen ones chosen ones now, there's a couple of verses that i want us to look at about this because this is a big deal and it's a big deal in the church and it's something that you know honestly we don't want to deal with sometimes and sometimes we look at it and we're like ticked off and sometimes we looked at it and we're like man too much for me i don't want to talk about that and but it's something that is truth and we got to look at we got to examine god's word when we see a word like this we got to look at it and say okay what are you saying god and what do you what did i need to learn from this and so a couple of verses I want us to look at. That word elect, to those who are elect, to those who are chosen by God. Ephesians, in, in the first chapter of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians. And we could read the entire first chapter and like pull out a hundred things. And, but we're just going to look at, at um, a couple of verses really quick there. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, let's do verses 3 through 6, Okay. It says, as blessed be, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, here's the thing that it's saying in that, okay? What it's saying is this. God, in love, in wisdom, in all of his sovereignty, which means he knows better than I do, better than you do, okay? In love, he chose me, and he chose you. Let's look at another one, okay? Because this is a big deal, and to land on one passage is no good, all right? So, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, the beginnings of the church, okay? Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 48. It says this, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. 
and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, I'm not going to say this is not like, if, if you never heard this part of the, the Bible, it's hard to swallow this, okay? Um, and there's bigger things than this, I promise. There's bigger pills than this that we're going to take and all that. That's, I understand. But what we have to land on is God's word, okay? And so as we look at it, what it's saying is, honestly, God has appointed us to believe. Now, that's tough, okay? I understand. But what we, as we look at these passages, one more passage we're going to look at is, is John six forty four, and, and, and many of you know that. But what does Jesus say to the people? No one can, can come to the Father unless what? The Father draws them. Now, here's the whole point of election okay here's the whole point of of when we think about okay god chose me and i didn't pick him and there wasn't like this lineup of buddha and muhammad and and all these people and i picked him and he picked me instead As, as we look at that okay here's the thing it's all about god and when we mix those places up it becomes about me because, you know, and, and just to really, really simplify this, and I'm not comparing the two, but you ever in elementary school play kickball? Yes, nice job. I did too. I love kickball. And, and I don't know about you, like, um, this, this too will come as a surprise to you. I wasn't the biggest guy in the class. You know, God elected me to be that way, all right? That's fine with me. You, you know, I'm not, that's okay. All right. Did you ever get picked by the guy who was like the athlete to be on his team? It's okay if you say no. You don't have to be embarrassed. I did. Uh, it's such a cool feeling. You know, and, and, and like um, even in California, we were playing uh, flag football. The staff would go play flag football because there's nothing. Pastors don't have anything else to do. And so we would, every once a week we'd go play flag football. And, and there's a guy some of you know who have met, Chad Solstrom. Is like this incredible athlete. I mean, like, it doesn't matter what he touches. I hate playing him anything because it doesn't matter what he does. He wins in any athletic event. Super fast, has great hands, all this stuff. And we were playing flag football, and he was on the other team, and, like, he's just amazing. Like, he's catching everything. He's faster than everybody. And it's just, like, frustrating. And I was the quarterback for the other team. And so, like, we finish, and we go back, that day and he he pulls me aside and he tells me this all right this is nothing about me it just made me feel good i want to make you feel good about me all right but what he says is he's like dude i want to be on your team next week i'm like i cried no i didn't um (laughs) but i'm telling you you know here's the guy that on the field is like i'm like dude i want you on my team because if i get the ball to you then everyone's gonna watch you run by him and but it was such a cool feeling. Now, imagine like being in kickball like, and being picked by the athlete, right, to be on their team. And, and obviously your feeling inside is like, yes, like, oh, thank you. I'm not the last person picked. And it's wonderful. It's such a great feeling and all that. But imagine like the guy who gets picked by the athlete, like getting ticked off. And saying, what right do you have to pick me to be on your team? I mean, the rest of the team would look at that and say, you're a loser. Like, you're stupid because you're going to win because he just picked you. And here's the thing that I want us to get about this whole thing. There are some people, and, 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 and maybe we are involved in that, okay, that we look at this whole idea of election and God choosing me, and I didn't get to pick him, and I didn't choose him, and how is that possible, and is that fair? And guys, let's come to our senses on that one, all right? 
If he picked me, I ought not complain, all right? Here's the God of the universe who for some reason, and it says in Ephesians, in love, looked down and said, I love you and I am going to choose you to be saved and be a part of my family. That's what it says, that we are adopted as his children. How could we not look at that and just jump up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down for the rest of eternity and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But our flesh tendency, because we just love this control, which you, we know we don't have, right? You know, we're not keeping this thing spinning around, the whole earth thing, you know? We have no control of that. God has control of everything, of everything. And we have no control of it. And the fact that the God of the universe would look at me and say, I love you. And we ought to be responding a little differently. We ought to be responding with joy and love and worship and obedience. I mean, here's the thing. You know, it fits into our purpose. The reason our purpose is pursuing God's fame is because he's the only one deserves it. I don't deserve it. I can't deserve it. There's nothing in me that deserves for attention to be brought to me. You know, Psalm 115 says, um, 115 verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. It's his love and it's his faithfulness. It's what, he's the one that holds the whole thing together. He's the one that holds us together. And if that's why he deserves the praise and he deserves the glory. And so as we look at this, really, we can't, we can't respond with skepticism and all. We've got to look at God and say, thank you. And our first response should be humility, first of all, because, listen, I didn't play a part in this. I had nothing to do. He made me. He, he, he created every part of me. He sent his son, his own son. And that's the only way that I can have eternal life. And then it's because he drew me. Christ says that. The only way that I could come to know him is because God drew me to himself. Now, yes, in our flesh, that's a difficult concept to wrap our minds around. If you get your mind wrapped around it, you call me. Let's spend a day and like talk because I would love to know if you got your mind wrapped around the whole thing. All right. I don't. But what I do know is God's word is truth. And no matter what it says, that I have to look at it and submit to it and to him. The second thing it should cause me to do is to 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 submit and, and understand that here's a God who loved me enough to save me. And to change me. And I want to obey him. I want to submit to him and I want to do everything possible to do exactly what he has said For me to do the third thing we already talked about is to worship in that submission and in that obedience just to fall on our faces and say, God, I don't know why. I don't know why, but you picked me and I'm going to worship you and I'm going to praise you and I'm going to thank you for that. He goes on in the passage and and he says this to those who are elect from all of those different areas. and, And it says, according to the foreknowledge of God. This plays into that whole election thing, okay? And this is big. Did you know in Revelations chapter 13 and also in chapter um, 17, when it talks about the book of life. Do you guys know what the book of life is? When we stand before God at the end, he's going to open, remember, the book of life. And those whose names are in the book of life will, will receive eternal uh, life in heaven with God. And those that are not will be punished and sent to hell. That's what the Bible teaches, Okay. 
Do you know that in chapters 13 and in chapter 17, and I think other places as well, but specifically in those two places, when it talks about the book of life, it says this. It says, um, the names written in the book of life before the foundations of the world. That's tough. That's difficult. That's hard to swallow. That's hard to wrap our minds around. But what the Bible says is, the names that will be found in the book of life at the end of time were written before time began. How's that make you feel? (laughs) There's a God who knows way more than we do. And in love, he wrote that book. And in love, he wrote every name. And in love and in knowledge and in wisdom and in, in incredible sovereignty, he wrote it according to his foreknowledge. You guys, we ought to worship. We ought to respond in just total, God, you're way above anything that I could ever imagine or comprehend. And I love you. It goes on and it says this. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification means this. It, it, it refers to um, being separated or, or it refers to holiness. And, and when we talk about that word holy, when we talk about God being holy, that, that, we say that a lot in church. You know, holy, 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 holy. The angels say it all the time. What does it mean? It means that God is separate from us. It means he's other than us. That word holy is other than us or separate from us from us okay he's totally different he's totally separated he's totally other than we are right and so when it talks about the holy spirit sanctifying us it means it's it's beginning that process and doing that in our lives it's separating us from what we used to be it's separating us from sin it's separating us from the world that we lived in it's separating us from all of those things and it's a process a lifelong process okay if you come to know christ if you if, if you surrender to him and submit to him and obey him it's not something that boom you know that one day you're perfect and that, that, that god has made you now you are like christ it's not that he sees us that way it says that we put on christ and and because christ died for us now we in god's eyes are perfect but there's a process where, where where those things that we struggle with the holy spirit convicts us of those of those things the holy spirit shows us through god's word that we ought not to be doing that anymore and it's a process where we become more and more and more and more and more like christ and that's going to continue there's not a time in my life where i'm like ah oh, 45 i did it you know i'm sanctified now you know it's not that at all when i finally come face to face with god then that process of becoming more and more and more and more and more like him will be complete. And that's a Holy Spirit working in us. And that's one of his jobs is to continue. And that's why, man, if we feel prompting inside of us, if we feel God doing something inside of us, man, if we do, and you guys know that feeling, right? You do something and it feels like someone hit you like with a sledgehammer in the chest. Okay, good. All right, everyone knows that. Man, when the Holy Spirit prompts us in that way, what do we ought to do? respond respond that's god that's god speaking to us and trying to shape us you know one of the things i was reading about peter and and um peter didn't grow because he stepped out of the boat right he didn't that's an incredible step of faith he didn't grow because of that he grew when he sank and responded to god he grew when he sank and called out for god to help him and to save him that was the growth I mean, he had to cling. He had to cling to Christ. 
And so many times when we are sinking and we're doing the wrong thing, we ought to respond right away and cling to God and respond to Him. And that is where we're going to see growth and and really the Holy Spirit doing that work more and more and more inside of us. I want to finish up with these last two things. And and, uh, these are huge, guys. and, And really, this is really where I want us to land today. And this is really what I want us to walk away with wrestling with today, okay? And that's these last two parts of this passage. It says this, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. The last part of these two verses talks about um, really what God chose us for. When He saved us, you know, the, the title of the sermon is Saved for What? You know, so many times we look at salvation, we think, I'm saved so that I get to go to heaven. Or I'm saved so I don't have to do anything and worry about it anymore. And it's my ticket that I punched and, you know, I'm I'm free now. And it's okay and I'm in the clear and who cares about anything else? You know, that part's done and good. But what did God save us for? And that's what these verses are saying. He did all of these things. Um, to those who are elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, in the sanctification, this process that the Spirit is, is taking us through, for what? And it's a two-part thing that kind of lands on the same thing. It's for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. We have been saved for more than just getting off the hook. We were not saved just so that we're off the hook. God didn't save us just so that we could now, oh, now we can retire that's awesome. And I don't have to worry about anything else because God said it's not that at all. God saved us so that we would obey him. It's for obedience to Christ and his laws. I mean, I don't know if you've read Christ's commandments. We kind of portray Jesus as this guy who just went around and patted people on the back and, and like made up for the law. You know, now, that was hard. And now I'm just going to hug everybody. Right. That's not what Jesus did. He said some pretty tough things, pretty tough things. Things. You know, one of the things that Jesus says, just, I'm just randomly throwing this out. He said, when you throw a party, don't invite your friends. Invite the homeless people, the needy people, the people who can't pay you back. That's one of the commands that Jesus made. And they're all like that. Jesus' commands are tough. And what this passage says is when God saved us, he saved us for obedience to Jesus Christ and the things that he says. He goes on in that, and, and that second part for sprinkling with his blood Peter's referring to a passage in Exodus, and I want us to look at it together, okay? It's Exodus chapter 24, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 24. We're going to read just a few verses, six verses, um, verses 3 through 8 of Exodus 24. This is pretty cool, guys. I mean, this is an amazing, amazing picture that I really hope, man, we just wrestle with this, Okay. Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8, it says this. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the the mountain and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the blood of the covenant and read it in the hearing, or the blood, that's not good. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. 
And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Here's the sacrifice that's made. And there's, you know, I don't know, like your picture of sacrifices in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, messy, all right? Like messy. They would say that the blood would just kind of flow out of the temple into the streets, all right? Just not good, all right? Here's this sacrifice that's made. And what Moses does is he takes half of the blood from that sacrifice and he puts it in these basins. And, and he reads the, you know, the law that God has given the people to the people. And the people respond. They say, it's good, it's good. And he takes the, the, the other half of the blood and he pours it on the altar. And what that's a picture of is God's end of the deal. Okay, it's God sealing the deal on his end in this covenant between man and God. And what he says is, I'm going to be faithful. This blood represents a covenant between the two of us. And I'm going to be faithful to that covenant. I'm not going to break it. I'm not going to fail. It's not, you know, you can trust my end of it. That's kind of the symbol that blood, it's like a shed blood in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. It's a tangible demonstration where two parties are making an agreement. Okay, that's why God had people make sacrifices. That that picture of blood is an agreement between God and man. All right. Um, Remember, in the Old Testament, forgiveness of sins still came through faith. All right. That that agreement with the with the animal is a tangible agreement where God makes this covenant. And that's where with with Abraham, where he walks between the. Okay, we're not going to go into all those things. All right. But it's like a tangible demonstration where these two parties are coming together with a binding agreement. Now, when he throws that blood on the altar, that's God's agreement with us. All right. And he says, I will fulfill my end of the agreement in salvation. What does that mean? You are done, sealed, saved. No one can snatch you out of my hand. You are saved. And I promise that my end of the agreement, when Christ's blood was shed, my end of the agreement is done. But Peter gives this picture of this because he wants us to know the other half too. And when it says for sprinkling of blood, what happened was this. When he took those, um, he took those basins and when the people responded and said this, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Then he sprinkled the people with the blood. And what that was is their end of the agreement. And in this relationship with God, I think so many times, here's what happens is I got saved by praying a prayer when I was a kid. And one time I went to Sunday school or one time I went to VBS or one time I went to this, one time I went to this, this guy scared me to death because he said, if I don't pray, I'm going to hell. And so I prayed this prayer. And what we kind of forget is there is an agreement, a covenant in salvation that has been made between God and man. Now, one side of that is perfect. God, he will never fail on his end of the agreement. But we have made a promise, is what Peter is saying. If we are saved, we have made a promise to God that we will obey his word. That's why he ties those two things together. He says, um, for one thing, that's what this picture says. But he says it's for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with blood. It's that picture of the covenant. The same covenant was made with Moses. It's a covenant that we, as a follower of Christ, have made with God. Yes, he has saved us, but we have promised in that, God, I will obey your words. And guys, what I want to challenge you with is, have we forgotten that? Do we even know that? Like, do we even realize that there's an agreement between us and God, that there's this, there's this huge picture of, yes, God has done all of the work, all of the stuff, but in that, God, I'm coming before you, and I'm promising you 
I am promising you, I'm making a covenant with you that because of what you have done, I will obey. I will do what you have said. I will do what you have called me to do. Those commands that Jesus has said, yeah, they are tough. They are hard. They are difficult. They're like things that I can't do on my own, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit to show us and make us the people that we're supposed to be. But God, I promise you that I will obey your word. And when I don't, and that Holy Spirit reminds me of that, that's why we talked about that, okay? When the Holy Spirit reminds me and kind of gives me that shot in the chest of conviction, then I will respond in obedience and I will submit to you again and I will confess my sins and know that you're faithful and just to forgive me all my sins. And again, I promise I'm going to obey you. Guys, here's the thing. I just, I think that we, um, I think honestly that sometimes we take this being a Christian thing and salvation thing and we know, yes, God, you did all the work and so I'm not doing any work. But that's not the way it is. In this relationship with Jesus Christ, there's agreement. There's a promise that we have made. Yes, I believe that you died for me and therefore I will obey your words. I will obey what you've called me to do. And that's tough, guys. That's hard to do. But it's what we are agreeing to do as we follow Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said. Consider the cost. Consider the cost. No one goes and just builds this city without sitting down and thinking through what he's going to do. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's the same thing. Are we sitting down and thinking through, am I considering the cost of following Christ? Do I realize that what he said was, if you're going to follow me, he didn't say if you're going to follow me, then sometime make sure you pray this prayer. He didn't say that. He said, if you're going to follow me, then you've got to deny yourself. That's the end of you. You're done. And you're going to have to take up your cross, which means whatever you bring, God, whatever you take me into, whatever it is, if it means death, it's death. But I will follow you. And then the last part is just that. It's follow me. Obey me. Do what I've told you to do. Just, you know, it's... When kids play follow the leader, it's easy to see who's losing. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty easy to look and see, okay, that kid's not... He doesn't even know what this game's about, right? When we follow the leader, when we're playing follow the leader, it's pretty easy to see if you're, if you're in this game or not. You just look in front of you. And if the person you're supposed to be following is right in front of you, then you're pretty much still in the game. You guys, it's the same way with our walk with Christ. When Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, then, then deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, look up in front of you. And if what I'm doing is not what Christ has called me to do, if what I'm doing is not being obedient to his word and his commands, I'm not following. I mean, it's as simple as follow the leader. If I'm not obeying, I'm not following If I'm not obeying, I'm not behind him because that's what he's called me to do. And so I walk every step just trying, 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 trying. And and man, in no way am I standing up here saying, how come you guys don't have it together yet? You know, this is something every day I'm fighting. Why is Jesus over there? And I'm way, way, way over here in the corner, like spinning around. You know what I mean? It's tough. But that's where the Holy Spirit's prompting We just say, God, I did it again, and I'm way over here. And God, I want to keep my end of this agreement. I want to keep my end of this promise that I made to you, and I will obey the Lord. 